Okay, we're picking up again Joshua today, so if you have your Bibles and would like to turn there, we're in Joshua chapter 20. We're making our way through, we're doing 20 and 21 this morning. We're going to actually look at 21 first for a minute and come back and do all of chapter 20, but what I'm hoping is that we get a sense, you and I today, of a topic we don't talk about that much in Christianity. In fact, sometimes I think it gets short shrift, it's justice. We, we as Christians, are about grace and mercy and think sometimes it's good for us to step back and think about justice. Our God, he's a God of justice. He's a God of law. And, and to think about what it means for you and I, I believe sometimes we can have a pretty low view of justice, and that's because we equate justice with our justice system, which in many people's minds today gets twisted or manipulated or whatever that might be. But I'd like us to look today from Joshua at our God and to learn who he is, to get a sense for us of how we relate with him. And and this idea of justice, it will shape how we live. So that's what we're going to look at today. It's called sanctuary because we're talking about sanctuary cities. And they're a little different than our sanctuary cities that we have today. But I, I want to consider them in light of justice. So if you have your Bibles, what we're going to actually, like I said, we're going to start in chapter 21 and then come back up to chapter 20 because 21 sets the stage for what's going on. So chapter 21 of Joshua, let's look together at the Word of God. Verse 1 says this, Then the heads of the fathers' houses of the Levites came to Eleazar the priest and to Joshua the son of Nun and to the heads of the fathers' houses of the tribes of the people of Israel. And they said to them at Shiloh in the land of Canaan, Yahweh commanded through Moses that we be given cities to dwell in along with their pasture lands for our livestock. So by command of Yahweh, the people of Israel gave to the Levites the following cities and pasture lands out of their inheritance. Okay, pause there for me. Because if you've been around at all, we took a break last week, but we've been walking through Joshua, and we've, we've come out, right? We're in the second half. It's, it was conquer and divide. So we saw the land of Canaan conquered, this promised land that God had promised his people, and God went before them, and, and, and God stopped the sun for them, and all these amazing things he did. And now we're in the second half. We're divided and started to piece out the land. And if you remember, there was no inheritance for the Levites because God himself was their inheritance. But we see in this chapter that God actually had made provision for them to eat and to live, and so he was going to give them not a land, but some cities to be in, so they would have provision. And this chapter one, chapter 21 sets it out for us, and I won't make you read all the names, because we haven't done that traditionally through here. But let me just tell you, you can read it later, that the rest of chapter 21 sets it out like this. You might think, if you were going to guess with me, the Levites were the priests, so they would be gathered around the tabernacle because the, the temple wasn't built yet. And, and so you might think they'd have cities all grouped there. And the only thing I really want you to see from chapter 21 is this. God gave the Levites 48 cities. There were 12 tribes. He scattered the Levites through all the 12 tribes. So there were all throughout the land. And so you read the list, and there are 13 in this tribe up here, and there were 12 down here over, over in this area. And he lays it out for them that he put his priests 
throughout all the land. So the, the thing that I want you to see is that God, our God, because he's our God too, he didn't say, I've got a holy place here, and then we'll just let you guys have your land out there. He scattered the presence of his priests everywhere. The whole land was his. And the thing the priests did primarily, they, they, when they're out in the bush somewhere, they're the presence of God. They're interpreters of the law. They, they're making sure that things go well, right? This system that got set up by God, this system of law. That's why I want you to see uh, that, that God's ways, God's justice, the law was established for the land. And you usually don't hear m- much about it, but the law was, was justice. was very essential to daily living for the Israelite, right? I mean, think through it with me. I think law, I think like, oh, the Ten Commandments, and everyone's following the Ten Commandments. But, but really, it was, it was actually something a bit different. It was something called the lex talionis. Have you heard of that phrase before? The lex talionis just means that the thing that you hear of is an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. It was a limiting thing because otherwise, if you took my eye, I'd take both of yours. I don't want to limit myself to one. So Senga's saying, for justice, we live under this piece of justice. And all these rules were set out, not just Exodus 19 and 20 when the Ten Commandments are given, but then in 22 and 23, lays out all these laws for the functioning of society. And it's justice. If you, for example, went and stole a cow from somebody else, and you were found out, you'd have to pay back five cows, because that was the prescribed penalty. If you if you um, accidentally killed the oxen of your neighbor, you'd have to make restitution. There's all these laws laid out because that's how it happened. And if you were guilty of something, you paid it back. It's interesting because many times we think, well, there's the sacrifice system, you see, and that's that's how they handled these things of forgiveness. And No, actually the sacrifice system was for when you made unintentional sins. So the sin offering was for unintentional sins. The day of atonement when they killed the lamb and they threw, and they sent the goat out and all that was just, that was for unintentional sins of the people. If you did something wrong, you followed the legal system. You made restitution. And the restitution you made was prescribed in the text and we could go through it and that's when we start there. Everybody's eyes really glaze because it's not just about the cities. Now we're talking Leviticus. Oh, Every rule, if you do this and you do that and you do this. and But it's the law, right? And it was immediate and it was just and it was black and white. You did it. It wasn't like, oh, let's let's have the mitigating circumstances and let's have two lawyers and they'll fight it out. It was, this is the law. This is what happens. If you have an uncovered hole and a neighbor's ox falls in, then you've got to give him two oxen. Establishing the law. So there's this justice and it's immediate and it's clear and God established it by putting his priests all through the land. See, that's, that's the deal. You follow the formula. That was a system. And, and with that, I think what you see is that our God is a God of order and of justice. I want justice. We want justice. Justice is good. It's right. We want things to be clean and clear, and, and, and we want things to, to happen rightly. And even within that, let me give you a particular piece about murder. 
Because that was kind of a super important one. You know, life is very precious to God. And killing people is a big deal. So let me, let me read to you from Numbers chapter 35. It says this, If anyone kills a person, the murderer shall be put to death on the evidence of witnesses. Pretty clear, huh? Killed someone? Murdered. You'd have to die. Moreover, you shall accept no ransom for the life of a murderer who is guilty of death, but he shall be put to death. So it's not like other things. Some things, you know, making restitution meant you paid something or you, you did something because, because you could make it right. Justice. You, there was no, not enough justice for actually murdering someone else. You had to die. There's a particular reason that's given in Numbers as it continues on. You shall not pollute the land in which you live, for blood pollutes the land, and no atonement can be made for the land, for the blood that is shed in it, except by the blood of the one who shed it. Whew. Big deal, you know. And, and I, the reason why I bring this up for you, the reason why we see the priests all spread out, this is, this is because this is the land, this is the place that is God's. And God says where I dwell, don't pollute it. It's not talking about oil. He's talking about injustice. He said the blood of the unjust. If you, if you get, you kill people, murder people, it pollutes the land and it's his land and it, it, it can't be. You cannot do that. Do not do it. The only thing that will atone for that is the person that did it. They need to die. That, that's what it says. You shall not defile the land in which you live, in the midst of which I dwell. For I, Yahweh, dwell in the midst of the people of Israel. It's an amazing thing, you know, to have God himself dwell with his people. And so it was so important for justice, for rightness, to be there. The blood of unjust killing defiles the land. There's no ransom for it, only the blood of the murderer. The point's not assigning blame so much, but the presence of God. So so I, I hope you get that feel. You get the feel of our God's a God of justice, and the amazing thing, if he's going to be in a place, he wants it pure. So you get this justice that's evenly, it's relatively strictly applied. That's the feel of it as you go through. And it's not kind of like today, again, what lawyer you get to find a loophole in the law. And that there's not too many loopholes if you go through. If you did the deed, you paid the price. If it was murder, you died. There is one interesting exception. And in this, in this scope of justice, we, we, we step back and realize our God is a God of justice. And, and, and it's not just the Ten Commandments. It's, it's how he thinks and how he thought and how he set the law for his nation and he loves justice. There's this loophole in it and it's about refuge. There were places of refuge. And I want to show them to you. This is Joshua chapter 20. So turn back, look look there. It's, it's the establishment of these places of refuge. Showing the heart of God. Chapter 20, verse 1. 
Then Yahweh said to Joshua, Say to the people of Israel, Appoint the cities of refuge, which I spoke to you through Moses, that the manslayer who strikes any person without intent or unknowingly may flee there. They shall be for you a refuge from the avenger of blood. He shall flee to one of these cities and shall stand at the entrance of the gate of the city and explain his case to the elders of that city. Then they shall take him into the city and, and give him a place, and he shall remain with them. And if the avenger of blood pursues him, and they, they shall not give up the manslayer into his hand because he struck his neighbor unknowingly, and he did not hate him in, in the past, and he shall remain in that city till he stood before the congregation for judgment, until the death of him who was high priest at the time, and then the manslayer may return to his own town and his own home to the town from which he fled. Okay, you get this interesting setup, and it's, it's about somebody who kills somebody else, but they didn't mean to. It's amazing and interesting and good for us to see that God is a God of justice, and, and all this law that looked at behavior, God still looks also at the heart, right? The motive matters. The shedding of blood requires the shedding of blood for the one who did it. That's the system he set up. A life for a life. Life is precious. But motive matters to God. So the setup of this was that if you killed somebody, their family was authorized to go get you. That's this avenger of blood, right? That was somebody from the family of the person that you killed. They went and they had the authority, the legal authority, to go kill you because the law said they needed to. And actually, it was a family matter. Why was it a family matter? Because if you killed somebody, you took away their, a part of their family. Maybe it was a mom or daughter, son or husband. All the ways in which they would work for the family, be a part of the family, it was a big loss. And, and, and so this avenger of blood, this designated family member, this near kin, he, he would go make it right. But sometimes people do get killed accidentally. I mean, the Deuteronomy 19 and Numbers 33 through 4, 35 talks about this stuff. And it says, so some say you're, you're chopping down a tree and you're swinging your axe. And as you're swinging your axe, the axe head flies off and it hits your, your neighbor in, in the head who's standing next to you. You, you didn't try to kill him. You're trying to chop down the tree. But your axe head, it flew off and it hit them and then they died. Oh no, the only way to atone for that is my death. What do I do? Well, here's what you do. You run to these cities of refuge. You, you would go to one of these cities and, and they're spaced out there. And then when you went there, then you would present your case to the elders. Say, hey, it didn't matter. They would, they would say, okay. And, and note this. It wasn't for murderers. If what you did was carefully loosen that axe head so that when you went this way, it went over and slammed into your neighbor's head because really the man's far too handsome. We've got to kill him. You couldn't go into the city of refuge. You were a murderer. You planned it out if it was um, a rage, but if it was, no, I, I didn't have any hate. I didn't have those things. I, I, my motive was okay, but look what happened. And oh no, it's terrible. And it was terrible, right? There was a real loss. Real life taken. So you could go to this city, manned by the priests. Tell them your case. And if you were really innocent, you could stay there in the city of refuge. You were, were not 
cleared per se because you had to stay there. You were away from your inheritance. You were away from your land. You were away from your family. You had to stay there until the high priest died, right? That's what it says. So this is not like our so-called sanctuary cities where people aren't following the law. They're actually against the law. They're trying to hide from the law. This is a place the law established for people who had good motive, but something had happened that was harmful. And when the high priest died, they could go back to their own land. They weren't able to be killed by the avenger of blood then. And so they set up these cities, and we'll just read through and and hear them. They set apart Kadesh in Galilee in the hill country of Naphtali, Shechem in the hill country of Ephraim, and Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, in the hill country of, of Judah. And beyond the Jordan east of Jericho, they appointed Bezer in the wilderness of the tableland from the tribe of Reuben, and Ramoth in Gilead from the tribe of Gad, and Golan in Bashan from the tribe of Manasseh. These were the cities designated for all the people of Israel and for the strangers sojourning among them. So anyone who killed a person without intent could live, flee there so that he might not die by the hand of the avenger of blood till he stood before the congregation. Okay, and I just would note that these cities then are scattered. There's three of them in the north and three of them in the south. They're scattered apart. I would note that one of them has a very interesting history. You know, I think Hebron is special. It was where Caleb, remember, he took this city, Caleb, (laughs) and he kicked out these Amalekites and these Anakim. And that city then became a Levite city. God's priests lived there. Then that city became a city of refuge. You could flee there. Then that city became David's city, where he was crowned king over Israel. And he went up and took Jerusalem, which would be Jesus' place that he died for the world. Pretty amazing. So in the flow of that history, it's a city of refuge. It's a city that you could run and you could be safe if you something had happened to you, but your motive was good. And, 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 and oh, our God is a God of justice. He hates abuse and harm and suffering unjustly. He has the rules and the strongest of which is murder. And I'm so thankful there's a motive component, even the deepest harm, the killing of someone else's family. Still required death, you know. Really interesting, right? That you weren't free until the high priest died. Tradition had it that the high priest's mother would go make meals for these refugees and take them meals because she didn't want the untimely death of her son. Uh, tradition has it, Jewish tradition, that they made double-wide roads with paved and every conjunction had a sign so you could know where this city was. So if something happened accidentally to you in the field, you knew where you could go and you could go quickly and run there before someone else killed you because you had killed their family member. Okay, so I, I suppose what, what we get out of this right now is this, that God is a God of justice. There are real rules. They're God's rules that he made in his nation that reflect his heart. And I think we as a people, to see the need for and the desire for rightness, right living, following the rules that God makes, very important. I I think it's important for us to see with with these cities of refuge, this idea that that we um, we have hearts that God sees. And he, he, he... he balances it out. 
He looks at the heart. He says, man, it's a motive, the motive issue, and that matters. And, and, and yet there's still harm that had been done to the person that got killed. And so here you have a way that they, they, they were able to mitigate and go forward, and it didn't require a death. It's amazing. This is the law, God's law. It's just, it's fantastic. Dare I say it's better than our system where we try and get ultra nuanced and balanced and try and get deeply into motive that we don't really know and try and, it just feels like that this seems a little bit cleaner to me. I'm not a lawyer, I don't really know. But there's something in here that if you just did that with me and that's all you did, you'd probably miss. And that's what I really want you to take away today. And it's about this. It's about the avenger. Because a lot of people use this passage to say something like this, God is my refuge. Oh, isn't he? And they're quoting the Psalms because he is our refuge. He is a very present help in trouble. Our God is a stronghold for us. He, he is our refuge. And yet, when they, when they use it and think about it in these terms, like he's a city of refuge... There's a problem, right? What was the problem? The problem was you couldn't be in that city of refuge unless you had what? A pure motive. A murderer couldn't flee to the city of refuge. A murderer who murdered his, who actually committed murder, not just accidental killing, not second degree manslaughter, or however it is we call this today. But, but if you actually had murder in your heart, you had no place in the city of refuge. None. So, so kind of, I feel like here, it, it, it's, it's the city of refuge for if you didn't really sin. I mean, we wouldn't really call that sin, would you? Say, well, you should have made sure before you swung the axe that the head of the axe was on there. There was some culpability because you didn't, you didn't use super glue. You just used regular glue to hold the axe head on or whatever it is you didn't do. But accidents happen. You're driving down the road and... You just went to the tire shop and got new tires, but you still run over a nail and your tire goes out and your car swerves and you hit somebody else and they have a baby in the back and the baby dies. I, I would, in my heart, call that a tragic accident. That's the kind of person who could go to the city of refuge. You could go and be safe because it was a tragic accident. Life is sacred, though, and... Sacred on both sides. So I, I want you to notice something else than that. The one who went after the killer. You see what he's called in the text? That person, or it's called the Avenger of Blood. That's quite the name, isn't it? The Avenger of Blood. It sounds like, I don't know, I guess there's Avengers that are comic book characters or something. I feel like they're the Avengers, and you feel like he's some sort of superhero with a big sword. The Avenger of Blood, and he's going to come and get the person, and uh, something like there's just something going on there that's interesting. But then you look at the word. The Avenger of Blood is something called a goel. That's the Hebrew word. He's a goel. If you're a student of Scripture, you know where that word comes from, or at least you've heard that word before, because it's one of our treasured little books in the Bible that doesn't talk about killing and death. It talks about restoration and redemption. It's called the book of Ruth. 
There's a guy in Ruth named Boaz. And Ruth is this Moabitess who's, who had married a Israelite man and, and then, she, and then he died and so there she is in the fields and she's poor and she's barely eating. And then the field that she happens to be in is this really cool guy. His name's Boaz. And it turns out Boaz is something called her kinsman redeemer. Kinsman Redeemer is a really cool concept in the Bible. Just about everybody says it points to Jesus. It's about the Kinsman Redeemer where he comes and this Kinsman Redeemer can, can rescue and ransom. And, and so Boaz does it. He rescues her. And, and this is going to be the line of David. It's really cool. The Kinsman Redeemer. And our Kinsman Redeemer, Jesus, he's going to rescue us. This Kinsman Redeemer, this in the Hebrew, Goel. The Kinsman Redeemer is after you here. What in the world? What, what, what is this? Yeah, this is a kinsman redeemer. He has to go and make things right for his family. You know this redeemer term from the book of Ruth, this wonderful story. But the kinsman redeemer, he could pay debts for, for his family, a poor family member. He could insure the line of his brother if, his, if the brother died and the wife was left. And that's the picture with Ruth. And this beautiful picture of care and, and, and love and He's an agent. He's, he's undoubtedly a picture of Jesus. And yet, there's this today. He's an agent of justice. The kinsman redeemer. He wants to see his family protected. He protects his own. He restores, he rescues, he redeems, and he protects. If harm happens, he's there to ensure justice for his family. Not every family member was the Goel. Think through it, you know. A family member's killed, there's great harm. Who's the restorer of justice? Who's the one that will bring justice to the situation? I'll tell you who it is. It's the avenger of blood. The Goel, the kinsman redeemer. It's kind of important as we think of Jesus, how we think of our God. Why? Because there are statements like this in the Bible that we struggle with. This is from Romans chapter 12. Beloved, oh dear family member, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. What's this? This is, this is God through the pen of Paul talking to his family saying, we've got a Goel. We've got a Avenger. We've got someone who will do make things right. It's not that we've thrown out what's right. You and I, who are Christians, we have somebody who will make things right, and it's not us. It's actually somebody else. Dare I say our kinsman redeemer. Dare I name him Jesus. That you have this idea that's, that, that, that gets into the New Testament. It's not just about this soft, happy redemption. It's about making things right. It's about justice. When harm comes, the kinsman redeemer has your back. When you fall, when debt happens, do you have this redeemer? I need to be in his family. Then, and only then, is he my kinsman redeemer. I can let justice play out its hand then because I've got the avenger on my side. I've got the redeemer on my side. Redemption is not only for my bondage. Redemption is for justice for all the harms that befall me in this world. And there are many. 
all the harms that befall you in this world. And there are many. Whether it was an accident or not, there are harms that befall us. And do you know who will make it right? Do you know who's about justice? I'll tell you who's about justice. Jesus is. I need to be in his family. How do I get there? Well, I, I, I know there's this thing in the Bible about adoption. I get to be adopted by Jesus. That means I'm in his family, right? So, so how do I do that? I do that by faith, right? I'm in the family of God by faith. I get born again by faith. By trusting Jesus, I'm actually a part of his family. Then I can be in this beloved part where I have this, I don't avenge myself. I trust my redeemer, my avenger blood, my goel. Can I trust that? Let me throw a couple more verses at you just so you see this, this concept. That, that I'm, I'm in the family and I'm, Jesus is my brother. I, I, I tremble as I say that. Jesus is God. But here's Hebrews chapter 2, verse 11, or 10 and 11. It was fitting that he, for whom and by all whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he, he's talking about Jesus, is not ashamed to call them, who? What? Brothers. Sisters. I'm thinking exclusion of men. Family. Do you know who calls me family? Jesus does. Do you know what he is? He's a Goel. He's a kinsman redeemer. Do you know what that means? He's about justice for me. He's about taking care of his family. Don't you ever think he's not? Don't you ever think that Jesus doesn't care about justice? He does care about justice. He does, he does. And he's on our side, and you may never see it in this lifetime, but God will make it right, won't he? Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, I will repay I don't go into that. I let my avenger do it. This is justice we're talking about. If I get this, I can relax. If I can realize I'm in the right family. Okay, you say, Dax, I kind of get where you're going, but I've got a problem. So I said, what's the problem? I talk to you, I realize it's the same problem I have, which is this. This is about unintentional harm, this passage. The sanctuary cities, right? And the problem is, when I start to say, okay, if somebody harms me, then I've got my Redeemer. <laughs> That's a comforting thought. I think that my God will make things right. He will wipe away every tear. I believe this. I know that it's coming. I know justice is, God is about it. But the difficulty is, is that I'm guilty. The avenger is coming for me. <laughs> Not he's on my family, but he's coming for me. I'm a murderer. No, Dax, you're not a murderer. Come on. Yeah, I've gotten mad at people. I've read the Bible. I've read the. I haven't you? Haven't you read the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus says, "If you even get angry with your brother, you're a murderer." The God who looks at the heart looks at my heart, and He doesn't see innocence. <laughs> In myself, he sees that I'm not perfect. The law doesn't say, oh, this is a great setup for Dax. Dax will fly through this with flying colors and God will avenge him because he passes. The law says, I don't pass. I deserve no kinsman. In fact, the kinsman redeemer should be after me. 
And this is where the gospel catches our heart. Right there. Because the avenger, he is Jesus. He's the kinsman redeemer that has the back of the one who's been harmed. And we have harmed other people. In our hearts and in our actions, it's unavoidable. We are sinners. Sin has consequence, right? And the answer is, of course it does. Divorce is sin. Have you seen what it does to children in a marriage? Can you not think about the murder that happens in abortion and think, oh, it's just okay? It is not okay. Some people have done that. Oh, Dax, you're talking about... No, harsh words. Don't you think that your harsh words and your manipulation of your kids shapes them for their life? And they carry around difficulties their whole lives because of how you didn't do it right. So I'm, I'm, I'm getting real, right? That even sorts of small things like stealing, we steal a little bit. When you steal something, you're defrauding the person you stole from, from resources they may need to do whatever they needed to do. And, and as you do that, that's a terrible thing. What, what about when I've done this? There's no city of refuge for me. <laughs> I'm guilty. And the avenger of blood sees the harm sees the need for justice. That's why the gospel is so amazing. It doesn't back down one bit from that justice. We affirm it. We, it's truth. We call sin, sin. And there's a price. And it, it's not wrath like there's some angry rage, like God is just raging at sin. That, that, that's not needed to be put into this. It's the consequence of your own failure. It must be paid. Harm has been done. That harm must be restored. This is wrath on you when you hurt someone else. And guess what? We've all hurt other people. All of us. That's why the said this is so amazing if you really start to chew it on it and think on it. They make the founder of their salvation perfect. How? Through justice. No, through suffering. He who sanctifies those who are sanctified have one source. What's the source? Suffering done by Jesus for the one who caused great suffering. I'm talking about you and me. And so the avenger who, who, who loves the person who's hurt and he's, he needs to set justice for the person who's hurt, he also loves the sinner. This is the gospel. While I was yet a sinner, he loved me. And he says, if you'll accept me, I'll, if you'll be in my family, I'll take on the suffering too. Right, that, that's what he's saying. And you get statements like this in First Peter. It says, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things like silver or gold. God didn't pay money for you, but with the precious blood of Christ, that of with a blame, without blemish or spot. You see, Jesus says, yeah, justice is needed and I will provide it. It will be my blood that makes atonement. I will make you able to come into the presence of God. I will, I will, not you, not your reformation. My redemption. Take heart if you're in his family because you have the greatest kinsman redeemer the world will ever know. 
and he takes on our wrong and he gives us his right. The avenger becomes the guilty. He pays the price. He shows you his scars. You remember that scene, right? Where he comes with and they, they look, look at the scars that's in his hand. Look at the scar that's on his side because he paid forever the penalty that is justly due. And if, if we can go there, we can get this amazing upside down gospel. We don't have to be against justice. We are pro-justice. We just know that everybody falls short. And Jesus paid it all. It's an amazing thing that we get the gospel. May it shape your whole life. May this be a refuge. May we worship this God. Let's pray together.